If you're unfamiliar with uh, Psalm 119, it is uh, the longest chapter in the Bible. It is an acrostic psalm, which means that um, every letter of the Hebrew alphabet is represented in each stanza of this psalm. So there's 22 stanzas, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each stanza, uh, every verse in each stanza, begins with the particular alphabet that, or Hebrew alphabet letter that um, represents that particular stanza. So if you're looking at uh, verses one through eight that we just heard read for us, if we were reading in the Hebrew, you would realize that every single sentence began with the letter Aleph. And as you go to the second stanza, you'll realize that every single sentence in that stanza begins with Beit, all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. And of course, this was done for memory's sake. This was done so that the people of Israel could teach their children to memorize this psalm. And for the most part, this psalm was memorized by every Hebrew child. Um, and as we come to the New Testament, we see that Jesus' ministry began with the Sermon on the Mount that has striking resemblance to this chapter. We have Jesus beginning his first sermon of his new ministry with the same words that the psalmist used in Psalm 119. Blessed, blessed. Now, this familiarity that Jesus had with the Psalm 119 because of his knowledge of it, maybe uh, most likely had it memorized, it greatly influenced his thinking and preparation for ministry. Uh, so when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, are blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker and the persecuted, he no doubt had spent many hours thinking about, meditating on Psalm 119 and how to apply it to the people that were following him around Judea. And so when we read chapter uh, 119, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. We can see that Jesus was thinking about these things. This psalm was precious to him, and it shaped his worldview. As we think about Jesus' words, blessed, and the psalmist's words, blessed, we need to know that those words in biblical times meant happy. So if you're uh, like everybody else in the world, your pursuit is that of happiness. This is what Jesus began his ministry with, asking those who were listening, do you want to be happy? It's a great, it's a great hook for any sermon. Do you want to be happy? Everybody goes, yeah, and I'm going to tell you how. And so then you'll listen for the next half hour. Because we all want to be happy. Happiness isn't just something that, you know, the rich people desire or the smart people desire or those who've had privileges desire. No, everybody that's ever been born desires happiness. So this is something that's important to us. As we consider the pursuit of happiness in this psalm, I want you to understand that it begins with the most fundamental element to all of us. Happiness. We all desire it. So God has placed in every single person a distaste for misery, an inclination to avoid evil, 
and, and has also given us a desire for beauty, for good, for well-being. All of us have this built-in self-love that God put there that protects us from harm and pushes us towards goodness and happiness. Even though we always, because of our sin nature, take inappropriate routes to that. But the great question is, even though it is true desire that we all have, a God-built-in desire that we all have, where do we find it? Where do we find this happiness that's promised to us, not only here in Psalm 119, but what Jesus described in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? In our fallen condition, is that something that's even possible? Can you be happy? Can I be happy? Is the question of the day. You know, we've tried all sorts of things to, to gain happiness. Uh, we've sought happiness in things not designed by God to give happiness. So can we truly find it? Is it possible for you to be truly happy? And the reason that this is an important discussion in the church is because all of us are easily fooled, aren't we? Even though we desire happiness, the world, the kingdom of the enemy, has disguised itself and what it offers as happiness and as satisfaction. We are told by the world that if we'll just do this or that or the other, we'll be happy. And sadly, we believe it. The world offers us temporary, material things, saying that those things will satisfy. But these things really don't satisfy. We've proven that how many times in our own lives and the reason they don't satisfy because they're not designed to satisfy. Not, God didn't make it for those things to satisfy us. Do you remember when Jesus was um, well into his ministry? He was doing miracles, uh, providing food and drink for anyone that would follow him. And they thought he was a great guy at that time. Remember that? Big crowds, all sorts of activity, excitement. And then John 6 happened. And in John 6... Jesus had this harebrained idea of preaching doctrine. And guess what happened to the crowds? They dissipated. They didn't want anything to do with it. So they were very interested in satisfying their physical hunger, but their spiritual hunger is, I don't want to hear about that. Let's, let's get back to feed me, Jesus. It's kind of their idea. They, they were interested in temporary satisfaction that they would receive from free bread, but uninterested in hearing about what it would truly cost them to follow the only one who could fully satisfy. They were fooled. We are easily fooled along with them. When the way to true happiness was revealed, they snubbed Jesus. They were not interested in true happiness, at least on God's terms. When Jesus told them how they could have the bread of life that satisfies forever, it says at the end of John 6 that they murmured and left him. You see, it's no secret that everyone wants to live in eternal bliss. That's not the question. But the issue is, when we must follow a despised Christ to get it, we lose interest. That is a universal problem. The, the children of Israel certainly wanted to enter the land flowing with milk and honey. No one was asking them whether or not they really wanted to do that. They all wanted that. They just didn't want to enter the way God wanted them to enter. 
And they said, well, the, the people are too big. The walls are too high. We don't want to have to trust God for this. Why can't we just have the stuff and not have to trust God? And so they rejected God's plan through Moses and Joshua. You see, we need to understand as we approach this subject of happiness is that God has never hidden the way to true happiness. It's always been right front and center. There's no secret. There's, there's no hidden agenda that God has. It's been written all over Scripture. He began human history by telling Adam and Eve where to find it. Our problem is that we don't want it bad enough to have to do it the way God wants it done. Psalm 119 says, Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So there's the way to happiness. No one's opposed to true happiness. We're just opposed to the way to get it, at least God's way. And if one way seems too hard, we try to find a different access. Maybe come in the back door. Try out the world's path to happiness. See if that works. But I want to try to help you see that pursuing happiness in any other way, any other way than God's way will be costly to you. And not only will it be costly to you, but you will never really truly experience the happiness that you pursue. God is not interested in rewarding us if we attempt to find our happiness in a worldly manner. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes makes abundantly clear. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 14, Solomon, the author, says this, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon had everything, didn't he? Everything at his disposal. He had enough money to do anything he wanted. He had enough brains to pursue any academic venture. He had enough women to pursue all that. He had anything he wanted. And what was the conclusion of his pursuits? It says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. He had everything you wish you had, and this was his conclusion. Unfortunately, because of our sin nature, uh, at least my sin nature, I don't want to hear it. I want to experience it, right? Is that you? Uh, you can tell me all you want, but I want to prove it myself. I want to prove that a lot of money isn't fun. So we go down the same road. Let me, let me try to help you with some um, real basic points of application as it regards this, regards this pursuit of happiness. I think it's important that as Christians, we don't pursue false happiness. Um, God has designed us to find satisfying happiness in one place, and it is not in his gifts. It's in himself. So the unfortunate reality is, is that we all think that it's the gifts of God that are, des are designed to make us happy when all those things are, are just um, uh, enticements to come closer to God himself. But we, we mistake God's gifts and see them as the source of happiness and end up finding ourselves unhappy in those gifts. And we know this, but things themselves like money, sex, status, all the things that Solomon tried 
are not bad in themselves. In fact, they're good. They're gifts from God. It's just that they are imperfect reflections of what is truly fulfilling, what's truly satisfying. Um, Since they're just a reflection, they don't truly satisfy any more than a picture of my wife will satisfy me like her actual company does. Um, Isaiah had the same concerns with the people of Israel. He was a shepherd of the people of Israel, and he was seeing the same kind of decisions that we struggle with in the people of Israel. And he said this to them. He said, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why are you pursuing all these worldly means to happiness? Was the question that he had for his people. And he said, listen to me. He says, pay attention. He goes, eat what's good and delight yourself in rich food. Pursue the right things. What's his word of encouragement? When we grasp after things that God has designed just to be gifts as though they were the source of our happiness, that grasping turns into defilement. Uh, Those things that he meant for us to enjoy become the very things that draw us away from him. They can actually harden our hearts towards God. Think of this. The gifts that God gives us can be the very things that harden our hearts towards him. And here's an illustration that might help you see why this happens. If I were to give Sherry a nice piece of jewelry for an anniversary gift, and she became so enamored with that gift she forgot about me, what would I think of that? Uh, If I came to her and said, hey, Sherry, would you like to talk? No, I'm busy looking at the ring. John, just a minute. Can Can you give me a few seconds? I'm looking at the ring. Okay, I come back later. How about now? Can we talk now? Well, just a minute. I'm washing the ring. It's a little bit tarnished. I want to clean it up a little bit. All right, and go to bed, wake up. Hey, Sherry, can we talk now? It's, it's morning. No, I, I'm, I've, I've got to get this out and buff it up for the day. I've got, this ring's really important to me. What, what would you think of that? It's foolishness, isn't it? That, that is exactly what we do with the gifts God gives us. We get so enamored with this shiny little thing, we say, God, just a minute. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm busy right now with my stuff. Let me, let me get back to you in a little bit, maybe next week or the week after, and we find ourselves living our whole lives like this. The one who gives you life and breath and everything else that we enjoy keeps getting pushed further and further and further back into our consciousness, let alone our practices, until we don't even know the one who's given us the gifts. The Apostle Paul, as he was training his disciple Timothy, mentioned the very same problem. He said in 1 Timothy 6, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See, it's it's the gifts that God gives if they're mishandled, if they're abused, if they're taken to be more important than God, end up driving people to ruin and destruction. And you see this, the love of money, not money, but the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is a gift from God, meant to, for us to enjoy. But when we fall in love with the gift instead of the giver, what does it do? It, it leads to all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, the apostle said, and pierced themselves with many pangs. The deceptive thing about pursuing the material as our joy is that we never have enough, right? Isn't that the case with you? I know it is my tendency. We always want more. If we make 50000 a year, we dream about what it would be to make seventy-five. If we have a two-year-old car, we dream about what it would be like to drive a new one. And on and on this cycle goes, never being satisfied. And of course, those things weren't meant to satisfy by God's design. <laughs> See, God doesn't want you happy with new cars and $75,000. He wants you only happy with the giver of those things. The second thing that I want you to consider as we think about applying the pursuit of happiness in the right way is that the world is prejudiced against true happiness. The world is prejudiced against true happiness. What I mean by that is that we hear regularly people who, who that have worldly perspective tell us that they're so happy they don't have to deal with the rules of religion. I'm so happy they don't have a list of do's and don't do's that you guys have to put up with. Have you ever heard that from someone? Well, let me, let me ask you to consider this. If there is, in fact, a loving God who has revealed himself in Scripture, he has revealed to us what is good for us, how that we can attain fulfillment and joy and happiness. If he's revealed that in a book for us, do you think it might be a good idea to pay attention to that book? If, in fact, he is a loving God. Proverbs chapter 3 indicates to us that we shouldn't trust our own understanding of things. Um, evidently, our own understanding isn't reliable, right? Has your own understanding ever gotten you into trouble? Yes, would be the answer to that. That's the only thing that gets you into trouble, is your own understanding. And the wise man who wrote Proverbs says, don't rely on your own understanding. Listen to what he said about this. Proverbs 23, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. What do you think he's saying there? This is just one of many elements that he addresses. He's telling you wealth won't make you happy. Wealth will not bring you fulfillment. Please desist is what he's saying. This is God's word to us about what it is that truly brings about fulfilling happiness and joy to the Christian. Jesus taught that the godly poor man was actually more happy than the selfish rich man. Remember that story? But we struggle to believe that because of what the world is saying, it's, it, that can't be true. Jesus must have gotten that wrong. Maybe, maybe Jesus never really had any money himself is why he said that. But evidently, those who did have those things said the same things in Scripture. Solomon, for example. Happiness isn't found in possessions. It's said by not only Jesus, but by those who had many possessions. We know this doctrinally in our brain, but we struggle to see it practically, don't we? which is why we must submit our minds, our doctrinal understanding, and our daily actions 
to the truths that we say we believe. We, we say we believe what Jesus said. We say we believe the, the, the wisdom of Solomon in our minds, but when it comes to our practice, we really struggle with this. I mean, we can look back through human history, even biblical history, and point out all those foolish people who put all their effort and time, energy into gaining wealth, and we can all agree that they wasted their lives. We know people, we've read of people that all fit into this category. But when the options face us that face them, we find ourselves making the same decisions that those poor souls made that cost them everything. And for, somehow, for some reason we think, well, it'll be different with me. I won't let it lead me down that path. I'll be able to manage this better. Um, I won't be like those people who, who win the lottery and just blow it and they're destitute in one year. I'll be, I'll be better with my money, God. Please let me win the lottery. No matter how many stories we read, it's not until God, God grabs a hold of our affections, not till God uh, sanctifies our desires um, that we really are able to live the way he would have us. Until that happens, until God grabs hold of our hearts, it seems like we remain trapped by the same worldly lies of those foolish people who've gone before us. And I think this is where for the sensitive Christian, repentance comes in. Repenting of our incessant pursuit of worldly happiness. This all to say, now we can come to verse 1 of Psalm 119. Look at verse 1. Look what it says about this pursuit that we all have. It says, blessed are those, happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Evidently, our conduct is attached to our joy. And of course, this means that there's some standard of conduct, right? And what is that standard for the Christian? What is it that gives you direction for your conduct as a Christian? Isn't it God's word? I think we would agree on that. Of course, everything that's been created has a standard. Even the body of Jesus, which was created, had to submit to these standards. He said, I thirst. Why did he say that? It's because he hadn't had enough liquids. And the standard says you have to have liquids or you thirst. Angels have standards. They submit to the word and command of God. Even inanimate objects have standards, don't they? Yes. If you drop a rock, it falls. Why? Because there are standards even for inanimate objects. Laws. So what is the standard for you, Christian? Is it the opinion of your neighbor? Is it, you know, the opinion of the news media? Is it the latest book on parenting? What is your standard for operational procedure? It ought to be the word of the living God, wouldn't you say? And of course you would say yes, who's going to disagree in a church? But what happens when you walk out the door? 
What happens when you're confronted with reality? When you have to make financial decisions. When you have to engage people who are upset with you. When you have to deal with a hurt child or an angry spouse. Then where are your standards? The point is this, friends, that Christians have a standard. And it's the word of God in this building and outside this building. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Whether or not you follow and submit yourself to those standards is a different question, isn't it? Different conversation. But this law, this word, ought to be the thing that guides our pursuit of happiness. If we say we want to be happy, and we say, and I think I can get there by making more money, by having better friends, by, you know, insert your idea, then you really aren't submitting yourself to this, because this word says, happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. That's how we must pursue happiness. I think it's important, as a side note here, to to mention to you that um, God's word is the standard, not what others say about God's word is the standard. So you think about the Pharisees. Jesus is always getting into it with them because they were always adding things to God's word. They were always trying to reinterpret what God said, trying to uh, establish their own convictions in the lives of the people they were leading. And we find the same things true today. There, there's many legalists or famous Christians running around trying to get us to act and think the way they would like us to act and think. Um, we, we, we have uh, traditions that have been established by man. We have, we have people who are well-known Christians who, who think that we ought to behave and act and think about doctrine and theology and its application the way they do. And frankly, I tire quickly of hearing what some famous Christian does or doesn't do. Francis Chan is not my standard. (laughs) And neither is Matt Chandler. I think those guys have a lot of good things to say, but they're not the standard. Who is? Jesus Christ is the standard. All right? This is very important because a lot of times I think our arguments are based on what Francis says what MacArthur says, what Sproul says, instead of what Jesus says. And I I love those guys, and I enjoy reading their stuff and following their ideas, but they're not our standard. The standard is Christ and his word. What does all this practically mean? If, If this, in fact, is the standard that God has established for us as believers. This is, this is the thing that will guide us to happiness, which we all desire. What are we going to do about this as Christians? Well, I think a good place to start would be saying this. Let's read it. Let's see what it says. We actually must consult the Bible for direction. We must seek out the mind of Christ, which is revealed here in these pages. So if you want to know how to raise your children, how to handle your money, how to handle relationship struggles, where ought we to go? The latest copy of modern psychology? No. (laughs) Here, in the Word. Also, 
I want, to, I want to show you the connection between obedience to this standard, obedience to the word of God, and our happiness. Because God said there is a direct connection there. In verse 1 of Psalm 119 and verse 2. So the question is, do you want to be happy or not? Do you want to find satisfaction in life? Okay, then, Christian, we must conform to the standard of God. We must conform to his word. He said, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. This is the path to happiness. Um, this isn't a command to be perfect. I don't want you to misunderstand that, it, but it's a, a command to have a firm grip on the gospel. Uh, you have no way of consistently being blameless. You have no way of consistently walking in the law of the Lord, but we know one who does, right? Christ Jesus. And what a monumental gospel truth this is. For those of us who desire the happiness that only God can give to realize that our perfection, our righteousness is actually the man Jesus Christ, the one in whom we trust, the one we believe in, the one we follow. But in spite of the fact that that uh, the Lord Jesus is our righteousness, and we embrace him by way of the gospel, it, it, does not, it does not mean that we are off the hook when it comes to obedience as Christians. Um, Psalm 119 actually applies to the 21st century Christian, to you and to me. And so we must embrace the truths given to us here. We must seek to obey the commands and directions found herein. Uh, our, our goal is to, to have a clear conscience between man and God in all things. In Acts 24, 14, Paul was speaking and he says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Jesus said, or Paul said about, not Paul, John said about Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, um, if you believe in Jesus, you must walk as he did. If you claim him as Lord, you must follow him. And so we have this tension between knowing that Christ is our righteousness and the requirement for us to obey as Christians. We're speaking here about how to, how to find happiness. God's instruction for us is that it comes to those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. Listen to Psalm 8411. For the Lord, Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. You see that? Who is God a shield for? Those who walk uprightly. And I want you to think about something here. The word walk in Psalm 8411 and the word walk in Psalm 119.1 implies consistency. It is a consistent pattern of life. Unlike so many who say, oh, I've tried that, it didn't work. Uh, you know, I, I tried going to church for a while and tried reading my Bible. I, I tried, you know, being obedient and it just didn't work. I, it doesn't work. At least not for me. I'm glad it works for you, but no. It's not 
walking, according to the law of the Lord, walking, as it says in Psalm 84, uprightly, is for every Christian. It's not for the on and off again Christian, not for the ones who drift in and out of fellowship. Walking uprightly is a pattern of life that bears fruit. Eugene Peterson, a contemporary author, wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Guess what that book's about? I'll tell you what it's about. Here's, here's the, the thesis, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what the book's about. As Christians, we need to walk in the law of the Lord consistently, daily, hourly. So who is going to enjoy good things from God? Who will experience happiness and satisfactions? It's those who embrace all of God's word, even the parts we don't necessarily like. You know, a lot of people think and treat the word of God like a smorgasbord. You may be one of those folks. You know how you act when you get in front of a smorgasbord? You have your tray and you walk down and you say, I like that, that looks bad, I'm gonna, that's not, oh. And you, and you move your way down this, this outlay of food, choosing and picking what you want and passing over what you don't want. It's the same way as some Christians. They view scripture as a smorgasbord. Well, I like the part where we are to love one another, that sounds really good. I, this giving of my finances, nope. Um, I like the part where we're supposed to pray for and encourage one another, but serving one another, nope. The Bible is not a smorgasbord. And the reason many people miss out on the joy that comes with walking in the way of the Lord is because they treat it like a smorgasbord. They think they can pick and choose their way through it, and, you know, God, I'm doing 50%. That's not the point here. Um, I, I think we need to consider that. And of course you know that God is the one who decided what would go into this book, right? This is real basic, but a servant doesn't get to choose his work. His master chooses it for him. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Last week, I mentioned um, some kind of reward for those who might be interested in memorizing Psalm 119, and you're thinking of this as an uh, impossible task. Well, our strategy here in teaching Psalm 119 is going to aid in your memory, all right? So we're going to take about six to eight weeks on each stanza. That's six to eight weeks on each stanza section of eight verses. You have six to eight weeks to memorize eight verses. Anybody can do that. And I know you guys don't have the benefit of knowing Hebrew and the, and the acrostic that's available to them, but you have eight weeks to memorize eight verses. All right? So we can do this. And here in a couple of years, you'll have the whole thing memorized. So try it. It may actually work for you. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. If by no other means, you might get this hammered in your head through repetition. And I'm okay with that. This is the way to happiness, folks. You may think there's other routes. You may have neighbors that seem really happy even without Christ, 
But there's only one way, according to the Bible, to find happiness, and it's in his word. And here's the reason why there's only one way. Happiness is found in a person, not in things. Happiness is found in a person, the person Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of happiness. It's found in conformity to Jesus Christ. When we conform ourselves to Christ, we will experience the joy that he had. If there was ever a fulfilled and happy human being, it was Jesus Christ. And when we conform to his character through the application of the word, his word, to us, we begin to experience his joy and happiness. Jesus said to his disciples that he came to bring us his joy, and his joy is divine and infinite. And so let's think about some ways we can apply this. How are we going to get the word of God into our hearts? If in fact this is the only means by which we can be happy, which we all want, how are we going to do this? And I would say the first thing is to be wise versus the opposite. The non-Christian, and maybe even many Christians, act as though they seek unhappiness. I find it sad to see Christians seeking their joy in worldly things. And they know as much about the scriptures as anyone. And yet they continue to set aside the word of God and try to pursue the gifts of God as some way to find happiness. And I know that everyone in here understands the foolishness of that, but I also know that we have a room full of people who continue to try it, including the person facing you. It's spiritually mind-boggling, isn't it? The author of Proverbs said this of wisdom, chapter 8, he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So be wise. What's wisdom tell us? Listen to God. (laughs) He knows what he's talking about. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what will make you happy. Be wise. So if you want to get to Seattle, you know, the best thing to do is not drive towards the Tri-Cities. You could try it. I'm certain many of you have, but it doesn't work. The best way to get to Seattle is get on the freeway going west, right? 82 to 90, sooner or later you're in Seattle. Uh, It's foolish to do anything else. We understand that when it comes to navigation, but when it comes to personal pursuit of happiness, for some reason we think it's okay to go to the Tri-Cities. Maybe we can find happiness there. No. Be wise. Secondly, I want to encourage you strongly as I possibly can to saturate yourself with the word. And if there's anything that you're going to hear at least 176 times, it's that. Saturate your mind and life with the word of God. Um, There's no substitute for that. Hold on to 
Obey the word of God, read it daily, discover his mind and affections found in the word. Proverbs 13, 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. So be wise and get into the word. The word of God will wash over your soul, remove all the filth that we get into daily, and take us to a place of joy. And guess what the reward is that Proverbs 13, 13 speaks of, that promises. I want to suggest to you it's happiness, fulfillment, peace from the Word. So saturate yourself with the Word. Embrace the Holy Spirit as your guide through the Word. Um, Without the Holy Spirit as a guide, we will not really be able to maintain our way on this path of happiness, in the pursuit of happiness. Again, the shepherd of the Old Testament, or one of them, I should say, Isaiah said this to his wayward people, and your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us, friends. And I know if you're a Christian, you've experienced this. Here's the way, walk in it. Have you experienced that as a Christian? Don't open your mouth. Keep your mouth shut. Don't open your mouth. Don't say that. Don't do that. This is the way, walk in it. Watch how you're going to react to this. You know it's coming. That's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Follow him. He's your guide. This is why he was given to us. Jesus called him a comforter, a helper, and a guide. For those of us who are weak and need those things. And this probably doesn't need to be mentioned, but I'm going to say it anyways. Believe God's promises. He actually promises these things to us. Why not believe them? We believe what the world's selling all the time. It's, it seems that at times it's easier to believe what the world's selling than what God is. Listen to this from 2 Peter 1. God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them, that's through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. What comes with divine nature? Joy. Divine joy. Infinite joy. Happiness. Having escaped from the corruption that's in the world, all those bad, false promises, we are escaping those things by believing the promises of God. So as you're reading Scripture, as it's pouring over your soul, hang on to those promises that God makes to his people. And he promises happiness to those who walk in his way, whose way is blameless, who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. He's saying, like, like what? What happiness? What are we talking about? Let me just give you an example. I'm going to close with this. What are some practical things where God's word directly addresses our happiness? All right? John 5, 24, Jesus said, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. How's that for happiness? He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He who hears my word, and where do we find his word? Right here, in your lap. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that bring you happiness? So on judgment day, you won't be standing in judgment. That's, a, that's good news. That should bring happiness to your soul. How about this one? John 15, 14. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. How, you, how would you like to be friends with God? You've got a lot of other friends that don't always come through. How would you like to be friends with God? Here's how. Walk in the law of the Lord. That's what Jesus said. You are my friends if you do what I command. And what he commands is the law of the Lord. Here's another one. I'm just giving you some, some ideas about happiness. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you realize if you're one who's pursuing Christ in his word, you were under God's watchful care and good favor? You are under God's watchful care and good favor if you're pursuing him. Even when you sleep. Last night, Christians, God was watching you sleep. We have a wonderful God who, who cares intimately for his children, who desires our good and orchestrates the events of our life so that nothing can enter without a purpose for good. Nothing. No matter what you're going through. No matter how you interpret your circumstances. God, you are under God's watchful care and good favor. L listen to the way the Apostle John mentions this in his first epistle. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Amazing. We are his, and he's certain to watch out for us. That brings joy. Listen to this one from Psalm 119, and we'll get here in a while. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Friends, do you want great peace that keeps you from stumbling? Where is it? Those who love your law. Those who embrace the words of Christ. Those who seek to follow him, who, who walk in his law, who, who seek him with their whole heart. Friends, this is, this is the path to happiness. It, it is not obscure. It's not a secret. Uh, there's 
there's no mystery here. It's real clear. Happiness is here, and here's the road. It's called those who walk in the way of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that our vision sometimes gets blurred by this world and we are distracted by shiny stuff. We acknowledge that many times we don't believe your word and your promises as we should and as a result get sidetracked in our pursuit of joy and happiness. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, through whom is the only means of accomplishing this possible, but I ask that your Holy Spirit would right now minister to the people in this room, that you, God, would would send the Holy Spirit into our consciousness, into our souls, and minister to us the grace of God that we would see because of the guidance of the Spirit that these things are true, that it is by walking according to your word that we will find our fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, and happiness. I pray that we would no longer believe the lies of the world. In fact, that we would only embrace the promises of your word. Oh God, have this mercy on us. For your glory, we believe that that you would be glorified if you would do this for us consistently, daily. That we would go to sleep thinking on you. That we would wake up thinking on you. That we would be quick to confess and repent of things that would distract us from you. Oh God, have mercy on us as your children. Draw us into joy and fulfillment. We thank you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.